Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mogul. My pronouns are he and him, and I am here with my epic co-hosts. My name is Cassidy, and my pronouns are they, them. <laughs> Hilarious. And... <laughs> <laughs> and I am a more interesting plotline that is teased in the show. They shouldn't tease you. But <laughs> not actually explored to any extent. All right. Would you like to elaborate? You'll see. <laughs> no! I really thought you had a bit ready for that. <laughs> Isn't it? I, I think it is. <laughs> Not that we'll get to see any more of it. I thought you were going to be like Lan's inherited father's backstory or something. <laughs> it damages me how many names are similar. <laughs> what? Moraine, Lorraine, Logain, Rogain. That is Land, a- Rand. Rogain. <laughs> Papa Bam. Rogain is. Isn't that the hair product for men, Jamie? I, I believe I believe it is. I think that Bam Margera should uh, get a cameo on this show, and they should just call him Bam. Like the character. Yeah. Bam and Rand and Lan. We could play the game fantasy character name or, or oh, no. fashion product. <laughs> or, or Yeah, or toiletry or hair product. Yeah. Maybelline. Glorio. Oh, <laughs> oh shit. Maybelline's a good fantasy name. Yeah, is. So is L'Oreal. Yeah. This is reminding me because that's like Loyal. Chanel. The yeah, you're right. And um Chanel. <laughs> Chanel with a character on Warrior Nun. Oh. <laughs> this is reminding me of the a werewolf romance novel series I'm reading right now. Oh, yeah? And one of the characters is named Adal. Oh, and- the Adal. Are, are they Adal? Uh, yes. Oh, nice. Good. But listen to this. His name is spelled A-D-A-L. So they just replaced one letter from anal. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have a follow-up question about this romance novel you're reading. It's gay. Yes. <laughs> and I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> loving anal. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a doll. It's just real confusing in some scenes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we have somebody else we need to introduce. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm Jack <laughs> Olander. I use any and all pronouns. And I'm. I am. Uh, a dweller of the of the dark ways. Okay, what does that entail? Oh well, uh, some call me the the screecher in the halls. I just the, there's a section of the dark paths, the the dark ways. They're just hallways, and I'm just screeching nine to five. Seems like a good living. Do you think others try to avoid you because? They've just heard misinformation about you? Oh, yeah. Well, th- you know, there are a lot of bad areas back there, but I- all I'm doing is screeching. All I'm doing is screeching, and it's actually a pretty good job. 
They pay me living wage. I don't know who they are. It just checks show up in the mail. I never applied for the job. I just started and the checks started coming in. You know what they say, uh, scream for the job you want. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. (laughs) Well, guys, if it's not incredibly obvious by our oblique introduction here, today we're going to be talking about the Wheel of Time. Yep. And specifically, we're going to be talking about episode seven. The dark along the way. Is this the penultimate episode? It is indeed the penultimate episode. What does that mean? (laughs) That means it's nearly the ultimate. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) But guys, do you know what the ultimate episode is? What? I have no idea. (laughs) It's not the episode of the Wheel of Time we're going to be talking about in two weeks. No, it's our patrons. Yeah. Wow, patrons, that's awesome. An episode in the story of our lives. That's right. And if you want to support us just like our patrons that we adore so, so much, and you want us to adore you as much as we adore them, you can go to patreon.com slash swords and satire and sign up to throw us a few gold pieces every month. Yeah, it starts in as little as $2 a month at the first tier. And you get benefits at every tier, including art, movie polls, and bonus episodes. So why don't you just heckin' go over there and check it out? Yeah. And where can they go again, Jack? Why, it's patreon.com slash swords and satire. That's right. Sounds pretty cool to me. All right, but that's enough of that. Why don't we start talking about the Wheel of Time? So today we're going to be talking about episode seven, The Dark Along the Way. But, Cass, why don't you start by telling us what happens in this episode? I will, Jamie. I will. Please do. So we start off this episode with a much cooler story that this show could have been about, which is a badass pregnant warrior woman who's like the ultimate assassin. I'm pretty sure she's part of the Aielman. She's an Aiel. The red hair would probably give that away. Exactly. She's a fucking badass. Seconded. Fighting off one, two, Three warriors at a time. Yep. Just kicking ass all over the place. All while it's clear she's about to give labor because she keeps screaming out in pain. And she's going into contractions while she's fighting all these dudes off. Right. The, you know, the usual movie shorthand, if they can't throw up in the scene, then you give them a pregnant belly. Right. That's a good way to indicate that the audience of this character is pregnant. She is mortally wounded at the last second, but is able to hold out long enough to give birth, and she's actually helped out by another soldier who came up to attack her, saw that she was actually in the middle of giving birth, and instead of attacking her, he helps her. What a novel concept. And he reaches out to hold her hands and help her grip onto him while she's giving birth, and she had such a closed-off, stoic, or angry look before, and it was... Kind of heartbreaking, the almost hopeful look she gave him when he actually was going to help her. But then suddenly... We go back to 
the main story that we're left with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. We get the dregs. Yeah. Now, hold on. What does she give birth to? An unholy CG baby. Yes. Yeah, so what we're left with is following the fellowship... Of the wheel. Of the wheel. <laughs> yes. Through the ways, the kind of dark void that's like a portal shortcut pathway from one point to another. It's like the subspace highway, but way less colorful. And much more dangerous. Turns out there's a lot of dangers in that there void. There's there's, <laughs> there's terror in them, Dar Hills. Yeah. There's a dark and stinky wind that will... <laughs> the worst kind. Yeah. That will say all your worst fears to you in your mind. <laughs> it's like the worst internet troll. And then they had... <laughs> yeah, because you can't escape it. Yeah, it's in your head. Then there are actual trolls in this series called Trollocs uh, chasing them through the ways. And they aren't supposed to be able to get through there. And somehow I like them a lot more than internet trolls. Yeah. And they finally make their way to some other endpoint because they have to just get out of there since the dark wind is blowing their way. <laughs> and it's kind of assaulting them. Rand, you're so boring. Ooh. Why can't you be as interesting as the actor who plays you? Ooh. <laughs> yes. So they find another gate they can exit from near Faldara, where land comes from. And Moraine is opening the gate to have them exit the ways, but then the wind is surrounding them, assaulting them. And they're all going to succumb to it, except Nynaeve uh, kind of explodes with white light jizz in a dome around them again. Oh, the jizz dome. <laughs> holds off. The dark, stinky wind. <laughs> and she helps them all. Lan pulls her as they're getting through the door. They all make it through. Except, remember from last episode, Matt isn't there with them. Um, I'm sure he'll be fine. Yeah. And he'll look exactly the same when we meet him again. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, and so they all set off to go to Faldara to... Get some much-needed rest and recuperation as they continue on their quest to the Eye of the World. That's right. And in Faldara, we get an introduction to the ruler of the land, who at first seems like he might be a little standoffish towards the party, but then it becomes obvious that Lan is actually well-known and well-respected here, that Moiraine has traveled to Faldara before and is acquainted with the ruler, he doesn't totally take everything they have to say seriously. Moiraine is like, hey, you know, the Dark One's coming. I know you're like the last bastion of light against all encroaching darkness or whatever, but shit's about to get real. And the king is like, yeah, nah, we're going to be fine. But like, I guess we'll raise like the alarm or whatever. We'll go to like yellow alert. Yeah. Basically what he says. Well, he wasn't taking her seriously until she said that Trollocs could move through the ways. And then he was like, oh, shit, you're right. <laughs> That's right. But in the same scene, Moiraine talks to the king's sister and is like, hey, can you send a message back to my red sisters at the White Tower that if they see Matt to, you know, 
do what red sisters do, which is also known as assassinate this motherfucker because she's like, you know, he might be the dragon and he's been cursed by the dark dagger. Best thing to do with a man who's stepping out of line, just cut him down. She said they couldn't afford to have uh, him go to the dark side, basically. Pretty much. This Matt guy has issues. Someone should do something about Matt. Oh boy, well, Moiraine is setting up somebody to do something about him, that's for damn sure. Mm -hmm. But we also get a cut to an old friend, Padden Fane, sneaking through that dark portal too. He's following them through the ways, and it's like, what the fuck? And we've only seen Patton a couple times in the past. He was in the two rivers, and Matt ran into him in another town and was like, hey, man, what are you up to? You're kind of a traveling merchant dude. What's your deal? And Patton's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's all good. But now he's following the party. That's a little suspicious. And a little later on, Perrin is like, hey, I'm pretty sure I saw Patton Fane. And his group is like, Nah, probably not. He was from another place. Don't worry about it. A lot of disregarding ominous events in this episode. Yeah, they're just doing what friends do and tell you that your perception of reality is incorrect. Exactly. (laughs) Honestly, I think people do that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. (laughs) But so once they get some accommodations, Moiraine goes to the four remaining two riverians and is like so we're gonna go to the eye of the world and whichever of you is not the dragon you're dead you're done you're not gonna survive the dragon gonna make it other three of you or maybe all four of you have matched the dragon you're done and this is after they went to a cool tavern and met up with a seer who has this ability to see people's futures and their past And uh, she couldn't tell which one of them was the dragon. So Maureen was like, you all coming. Or could she? That's right. (laughs) So after this scene, we get some kind of interspersed cuts with Rand, Egwene, Perrin, and Nenev kind of having uh, some spats amongst each other. Perrin and Rand are really kind of hostile at each other over Egwene. Rand is feeling like Perrin might have been trying to hook up with Egwene all of this time and he kind of accuses him of marrying Layla as like a second prize which fuck that Layla was not any second prize she was the first prize and also she's not a prize because she's a person who got to make her own decisions she like Rand's mother was a far more interesting side character (laughs) who we got to meet for about one scene yep Also, spoilers, we're about to reveal who Rand's mother is. (laughs) But yeah, so they have some little spats. In the end, Egwene and Rand kind of make up, and Perrin steps aside for the time being. That's right. So after they're all done spatting all over each other, there are some harsh feelings. Lots Lots of tension going around. And Rand, what is he doing? But he's shooting his load all over a target. His arrows. Yeah. A payload. Yes, his payload. And he just can't he can't get a bullseye because he, he has inner conflict. Yep. And That's called symbolism. Who goes to see him but Egwene? They're tight, but not right now. <laughs> they have a little bit of a they have a little bit of an apology time, which is nice. 
And then they have makeup sex. That's right. And we why get, even fight if you're not going to have the makeup sex? That's right. We got to see Rand's boobs in that scene, which is great. <laughs> and he offers to be her warder when she becomes an ace to die. That's right. Very important. Which I thought was pretty neato. They both seemed into that idea. It's true. But we also get to see Land. Oh. Currently, you know, maybe our favorite warder. Yeah. He's, Oh, the two polycule warders are pretty great, too. That's true. The warders are pretty good. But Lan's walking around the city, which he knows as home. And where is he going? I don't know. But Nynaeve is determined to find out as she's following him in the shadows. You know, like friends do. That's right. And when she sees Lan enjoying himself with a family in a nice, humble home... She realizes she's been caught as Lan comes out to face her. And it's like, so you're coming in or what, buddy? (laughs) And they have a nice meal together. That's right. Lan's kind of adoptive dad basically is like, oh, this is your new girlfriend? What a catch. Yes. (laughs) It's very cringe, but also Lan and... Nenev, like, aren't hating it. I thought it was pretty cute. The way his pseudo-dad looks at Nenev and Lan together is very adorable, I thought. He he looks at the family with surprised joy on his face. I would call it glee. Yes. Yes. The acting is great in this scene. Phenomenal. And uh, they have a great dinner. Lan and Nenev, they go back to where they're staying, but... They don't go to separate rooms if because you know what we they, mean. they share the same sex with each other. <laughs> <laughs> and then they end up cuddling all night, which is nice. Yes. She almost walks out on him, but they end up having a healthier relationship than she expected. That's nice. Yeah. And in the morning, the gang gathers around and starts talking about you know, whether or not they're willing to face complete annihilation in the center of the world, only to find out the choice may have been taken from them. Yeah. That's right. As Rand was told by the Oracle that he is likely to be the dragon. And Rand told Moiraine, and Moiraine was like, let's get out of here and go to the center of the world, just you and me. Turns out that badass warrior woman was Rand's mom. That's right. And you know what happens when you're born to a mother who dies in a pregnant spear fight, right? It means you're the dragon. That's right. It means you're part of a prophecy. (laughs) Yes. Ran was born CGI, which means he was destined for something greater. True. Just like in Twilight. Oh, God. And the last scene we see is Ran and Moy Rain walking through the blighted lands. Yes. Making their way to the eye of the world without the rest. But if we know fantasy... We know everybody else is going to go after him. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you know what? They're just going to be like, cool. Uh, what's the fastest wagon home then? Yeah. Wait a minute. So what What just happened is that Ran is the dragon and he's going to solve this issue and that I'm probably not the dragon? No, he needs my help so I can die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
There is a little bit of crazy logic to following. If Rand gets to the eye of the world before I do and he's the dragon, I'll kill him before <laughs> I get killed by going to the eye of the world. Well, it sounds like we're beginning to analyze. Yeah. And you know what that means? What's it mean? It means we should probably head into the delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of The Wheel of Time, Episode 7. So guys, let's talk about badass warrior women. My favorite topic. Yes. Yes, I like that. This episode begins with the promise of a much better storyline in a lot of ways. Which is not to discredit the story we get, because we're beginning to really enjoy the show. But yeah. true. Rand's mom is pretty fucking rad. Yeah, she is. I would have liked to have seen more of her and what yeah. what she was like. Yeah, she's got this sharp stick she's swinging around. And then halfway through the fight, she gets two sharp sticks. And that's awesome. Well, she was carrying the two sharp sticks at the beginning. Oh, she had two at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I think the one longer spear she stole from one of her attackers. Spear, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you want to get all technical about it. Yeah, and she's all poking them and swinging them around like spear fighters don't do in real life. Yeah, yeah. It looks awesome, though. Oh, it looks so good. I think it's interesting that it shows that she has more depth to her, too, because when a soldier was willing to help her, she was willing to accept that help because she knew she needed it. Yes. She wasn't following the limiting masculinity of, no, fuck you, I'm going to attack you and keep you away from me. She was just like, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I don't think she was expecting any compassion. Right. Based on the fact that she was a pregnant woman fighting through a band of soldiers. What is the name of the group she's from again? Aielman. That's right. And what we've heard of the Aielman from the Gleeman. <laughs> Thom. Thom. It's Tom, but yeah. Mm, it's spelled Thom. Yeah, so that Thong guy was saying <laughs> that uh, Aielman are like savage raiders, right? Yep. Effectively, they were compared to Vikings, I believe. That's yeah. the impression I got. They're like raiders from the frozen north. Isn't that the case? Sounds yeah, right. I yeah, I think so. So... This scene kind of looked like Vikings versus Knights, in my opinion, because the group that she is fighting are wearing plate mail and they have these yellow capes. They have uniform. They're all uniformed. Yeah. With this heavy plate. She is wearing cloth wrappings. Designed to accentuate her pregnant belly. Yes. They are people from the north with the aesthetic uh, historically associated with real world, like Eastern or Arabic countries, kind of like Bedouin. She yeah. has like kind of a turban, head Which wrap, and is more practical in a hot desert, not a cold desert. Yeah, so she's like a thirteenth uh, warrior. Yeah, something like kind that. Kind of Arabic Viking, except all of her people are like that too. Yeah, exactly. Thirteenth people, <laughs> and they're gingers. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So it seems like she is being victimized in this situation. It feels like she's sort of 
being eradicated was the impression I was getting because there is a group of uniformed soldiers hunting her down. Yeah. I got the impression that she had been participating in a battle. Mm-hmm. Yes. And her people were losing or retreating and she was trying to retreat because she was she could tell she was about to give birth. So she was fighting off attackers that had followed her. Tell me if I'm wrong, but don't the Aeol men have like a shockingly low birth rate? Didn't Tom say something about that? Maybe. Or am I misremembering this with another piece of fantasy fiction we watched? I'm not sure, but given she's in the middle of combat, well, like nine months pregnant, I'd say their birth rate is pretty small. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Yeah, they're all warriors, so... High mortality in general. Yeah, it could be because they die in battle. What I was going to say about her being a warrior woman and written in a more interesting way. With no dialogue, by the way. Yeah. Her response to compassion and support is more nuanced than warrior women have been written in the past based on my experience in reading a lot of fantasy and watching a lot of fantasy films, usually writers don't know how to write women. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, as all those women titted boobily through the scene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I sp- It's mainly male writers, because that's been what's predominant in the past. And this is not part of the book. So if she had been written in the past or in just in a different form, she more savage, (laughs) uh, she would have continued to attack the soldier, even if he was trying to show support and not attacking her and continued attacking him or showing hostility until she became too exhausted to do so and had no choice but to accept his help. And It shows that she has more emotional resiliency and intelligence. Maybe. I mean, she was also mortally wounded, so she might have just known that, like, there was no fighting this one way or the other. She also, like I said, looked hopeful, though. Yeah, it's actually, I was going to bring up, it is somewhat surprising. Obviously, she is, you know, hoping to save her child at the cost of her own life, right? She is giving Rand to effectively an enemy soldier and being like, raise my kid, protect him. And Rand's dad does. Yeah. But like, that's a moment, right? Like she is putting in a, to some extent, a tremendous amount of trust in him, maybe out of necessity, but he follows through. It also shows more compassion from him too. Yeah. I mean, he clearly takes Rand and... I'm guessing desserts or something. He leaves this military unit he's a part of. He's in, as Jack said, like regalia of a military under probably a king or something. We all we know about Rand's dad before this is that he's a is that he lives in the two rivers. They live kind of not even with the rest of the town. They live like in the woods. So kind of removed even from that rural society. I'm devastated that he probably is not a citizen. He's a subject, most likely, right? I mean, initially, sure, if he's a soldier, he probably would be a subject, right? I was also going to say it's kind of interesting that the Two Rivers is, like, somewhat famous. 
It feels like everyone who the Two Rivers has been mentioned to knows what it is. Yeah. My impression is that the scene we get with Rand's mom and his dad happened far to the north, because it's very snowy, and yes. that's where the Ioman are from. And the Two Rivers seems like it's kind of far to the south. I don't know what the map of the Randlands looks like. <laughs> oh, I hate that it's called that. It is more northern, just not as much as the Aeol lands. Oh, okay. But uh it's just it seems like the Two Rivers is this small agrarian village that hasn't been relevant in thousands of years. But it seems like a lot of people know about it. Maybe the people here are just good with geography in general. Maybe. The region is historically relevant. And usually the characters that know about it, they either travel through there for commerce or they're historians. That makes sense. You're telling me this place has two rivers? <laughs> There's only one place in the whole world like that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that we know that Rand's father took him and is living in this society, but also removed from it. That to me says he probably deserted. From the army. Yeah. So, like, they always have an out, right? If if the king soldiers came in the town or whatever, they might have time to flee back home, grab their things, and get the fuck out of there. Yeah. And we saw in the first episode that Rand's dad had military training. Yeah. And I think that surprised Rand, right? Yeah. He so did. He never really taught him anything about that except for how to shoot a bow and arrow. Yeah. Right, they're living off the land. They're basically hunters. I think he was also surprised about the crane katana that he has. Yes, which is part of the vision that the seer has. All of the uniformed soldiers had katanas with the crane insignia. Which would signify what kingdom they come from. I'm just ignorant of that. I was going to say, for fans of the book, that would have been a, a probably a moment when they saw that katana Hit the screen. Whoa, they're from the crane place. <laughs> I hear they have sweet origami there. Yes. But you know who's somewhere they shouldn't be? Matt. It's right true. now. Can we rap about Matt for a sec? Please, let's. I would love to rap about my favorite character who is definitely coming back just like he already was. Right. Portrayed as a Muppet, hopefully. Fingers crossed. So let's rap about Matt. The guy's far away. And uh, <laughs> don't get your hopes up. I'm not going to rap. But when the characters, when the gang are spatting on each other, <laughs> the spat's about Matt. It is. It's a Matt spat. It's a Matt spat. That rhymes. Egwene is like, Matt, uh, Matt left us. And Rand is like, you fucking bitch. <laughs> Dude, Rand is ride or die for Matt. That's right. He's basically his best friend. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Matt, you know, he lives a troubled life. We've talked about it the other episodes. He is someone who uh, has to deal with... Would you say an undue amount of adversity for one person? Yes, I would say that. <laughs> Just but to also... remind the listeners, Matt has... He has a adulterous father, an alcoholic mother, and two younger sisters that he cares greatly for, but his parents just treat all of them kind of like crap. That's right. And this adversity has given him a tendency to lean toward troubling behaviors. 
He wants the easy way out because things have been so challenging for him. That's right. And so Rand can see that Matt is more than just those behaviors that piss other people off or don't come across very well. He sees all the good parts of Matt. And like you said, they're kind of best friends. So when Egwene is like, oh, he left us. Fuck Matt. I hate him. Right. And Rand is like, hey, I'll kill you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He's so angry. He starts getting kind of vicious on Matt's behalf. He does. And yeah. that that starts pissing everyone off, especially Perrin, who is like, hey, you can't talk to her like that. And then Nynaeve is like, hey, you guys can't talk to anyone like that just because Perrin wants to fuck your girlfriend. <laughs> Which wasn't helpful for anybody, really. And not it, a good way to de-escalate. Yeah, and not really accurate, turns out. So she just made it. A lot worse. <laughs> it seems like Perrin might be into Egwene, but it doesn't seem like there was ever something between them or that he was ever planning to act upon those feelings. Also, I mean, they were just on the road together. I think Rand is feeling like, why didn't I get separated with my girlfriend? Right. Why did it have to be Perrin? But then he was also separated with uh, Matt. So it was complicated. Yes. But I mean, yeah, in the last episode, we saw that Rand was willing to fight Lan, who would have cut him down in a heartbeat, trying to protect Matt. Yeah. And Egwene kind of apologizes for it during the Makeup shoot sex. your, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> right before that, she's like, oh, you know, I actually care about Matt too, dude. <laughs> right. And uh, she was feeling betrayed by him. Yeah, that's right. And he didn't go through the ways with them because he was he felt pretty certain that he wasn't the dragon and that he would just die if he went to the eye of the world yeah that's right but unfortunately it is considered a suspicious act by especially moiraine yeah i she's been trying to protect them all from the red aja her red sisters the whole time but i think she feels pushed up against the wall like she has no other recourse at this point because she's seen how entranced he is by the darkness and he's already fed off of it through the dagger so she doesn't feel like she can risk letting him go it's a very controversial decision that she makes i feel like this sucks Because this is falling back to behaviors that Moraine was displaying early in the show, which made her horrible and inhuman. Yeah. It's complicated, though, right? Because I think listeners can probably relate to this type of situation where you might know somebody who has a troubled background, who you care deeply about, or somebody you know cares deeply about, but not everybody wants to put up with that. Now, of course, this is blown up. To the fantasy level of like, oh, well, Moiraine's like, let's kill him, basically, or or enslave him, basically. Gentle him. him. Yeah. yeah, gentle him. Rand is like, I know what he's been through. I don't want my friend to suffer. And it's a complicated interplay. And I don't think there's ever an easy answer for this kind of thing. Because Matt has done things that have truly endangered all of their lives, like taking the dagger and, you know, he has now a lot of doubt about whether or not he resulted in that one family being killed and all this other stuff. So he is really just running up into this wall of my life is so bad. I don't even know how to go forward. 
so I'm just going to like totally step away from everything. But that's interpreted as he's now a threat to everyone. He also interprets his misfortune in such a way that he thinks he could not be the dragon. He's like, my life is so fucked. How could it be me? Right? Right. It's a big, it's a big, he's got a big blockage in his solar plexus chakra, my guy. (laughs) Yeah. He does. He feels like beaten down by everything that's happened to him. And he's just kind of lost all confidence in himself, it seems like. And if the red Aja get a hold of him first, he's going to have something else in his solar plexus chakra. A sword or a fireball. Yep. Yeah. And if any of the other two Riverians find find out what Maureen did, that's going to be fucked, too. Yo, absolutely. If Rand found out about her telling them to send the Red Aja after Matt, he would never trust Maureen again, probably. Or would certainly have a hard time trusting her. But currently, they're off on their little expedition. That's right. Rand has recently been shown to us to have the ability to channel. Very recently. Yes. Which was kept from us throughout the season so far as a way to kind of obfuscate and like keep the mystery going. I hate it when movies or TV shows do this where they just, instead of presenting you with a cleverly written mystery, they just withhold information so that you can't figure out what's going on. They just have something happening off screen that also has no impact on what's happening on screen compared to other things that are happening. It's like, oh, like, Nenev is doing a big spell, so we don't need to show you Rand's little spells. Uh, who was doing the big spell? Nenev. Oh, you mean Nynev. Nynev, even. <laughs> I'm taking psychic damage. Nynev. <laughs> night, night. <laughs> Knows magic. So the Moon Knight is just jizzing everywhere. Um, I remember that episode of Moon Knight. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I find... His Tuat was was obstructed. (laughs) Oh no! Not an obstructed Tuat. Yeah, I find it incredibly frustrating and not a very good way to write a story in my... That's just my opinion. It's true. I do think we saw him channeling, and his weave is the masculine weave, which, of course, is represented as being white and black because it shows that it is being tainted by the dark one. True. Yeah. And that's awesome. (laughs) And also, the dark voice in the uh, dark way is the thing that told Ran that he is the dragon. That's when he went to talk to the seer and be like, Hey, dude, it's me, right? And she's like, I'm not going to say it's not you. Yeah. Everybody's playing mind games, even the writers of the show. (laughs) It's true. It's it's freaking annoying. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, but I think it's going to give Rand such an opportunity to maybe be more interesting if he starts going insane because of the tainted weave. That would be pretty good. We keep, while watching the show, pointing out the actor who plays Rand is just so charming. Yes. I cannot stress it enough. Because we bash Rand's character, it needs to be understood the Rand actor 
is the like sole reason he's likable. Yes, yes. it really is. It's he, true. He's like Atlas carrying the protagonist on his shoulders. <laughs> it's so true. I'm just so annoyed. Um, so yeah, basically they go back through and show all the times that Rand has actually been channeling this whole time, and it's just been kept from the audience, us. <laughs> <laughs> It's been kept from the audience. More importantly, it's been kept from us. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> it means that it takes away that interaction that you could be having with the show and yes. following a mystery, figuring it out. And it kind of cheapens the experience of finding out the information. This was my complaint with a lot of like Battlestar Galactica, the remake, where they'd be like, Who's a Cylon? But they didn't actually plan who a Cylon was. So there's no clues to follow. They're just like suddenly like, oh, it was this character. So if there's any clues from the show, that was just a coincidence. But pretend like we meant it. It's like, well, it's slightly different here. But they're just doing this thing where they're obstructing the clues and being like, no, actually, Rand's been magical all along. Psych. And it's weird that they did that because... Anybody who's read the book would know that he was able to connect to the source or whatever it is. Spoilers, Cass. (laughs) (laughs) And that the Dark One's actually been talking to him the whole time. Oh. So it was a weird choice. I just thought they were like somehow changing it from the book that they were showing that he couldn't channel. I, I, I was a little bit confused by that the whole time. I mean, as a first-time Wheeler, I just assumed that Rand was the main character and that he would be the dragon or one of the dragons or whatever, but I didn't know that the Dark One was talking to him. I am actually shocked he can channel. I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. I thought he was just going to be some sword guy. <laughs> sword boy? Yeah. It does make him cooler. <laughs> it does. It's not a personality. But it does make him cooler. Well, the actor is bringing all the personality to the character. It's true. And the fact that he's willing to follow Egwene to the White Tower and is supporting her to go there shows character growth, and that made him cooler, too. Yeah, I think that his just complete dedication to Matt also made him a lot cooler. Yes. Yeah. His just unwillingness to watch others take down his friend when he knows that there's something else driving Matt. Also, even after Matt didn't follow them. Yeah, he still refuses to count him out. Yeah. And also, now Rand is setting off with Moiraine on basically probably a death march. Like, I gotta give the guy props. He He's trying to save his friends from certain death, or so he thinks. Yeah, I mean, he's doing a typical story thing where Rather than telling his friends, like, okay, so here's the deal, right? I'm doing this to protect you guys. And maybe it's going to be like, well, I knew that you would never accept that. But it's like, no, some people would be like, you know what, Rand? Go in peace. You're saving our lives. You go do that thing. Here's something I am thinking might happen. You brought up Moiraine and it jumped into my my head. We see Moiraine going into the blight with Rand, right? That's right. And it's just the two of them. And just before they left, she did something that she did in a previous episode when she was wanting to be secretive. 
she cut off her bond with Lan. That's right. Yeah. Which seems sketchy as hell. Right? It seems kind of mistrusting. The idea that we've set up between warders and the Aes Sedai is that the bond is supposed to be a, a, a like a magical connection that deepens what's already there. So you have to have a good relationship based on like trust because the bond shares your emotions, mm -hmm. somewhat your thoughts, your intentions, and even directional location. You can always find yes. your way back to each other. You have to have a really deep bond with someone to even establish the magical bond. Yeah, um, just real quick, that kind of reminds me of like what it is described that mates are like in the werewolf romance yes. novels. <laughs> of Everything goes back to Cassidy's uh, werewolf romance novels. Yeah. Look, we've all read werewolf eroticas, <laughs> all right? It's just <laughs> these are common tropes that will be familiar to every person on the planet. Yes. I've read at least three, all right? So anyway, the warders in the Aes Sedai. Like I said, this is the second time she's done this. In just a week. It seems like, yeah, it seems like she might be pushing Lan away. I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, there's a conversation they have the night before when they're talking about, like, the two rivers folk and what they're going to decide to do and what is going to happen if some of them decide not to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then... It kind of turns to talking about Nynaeve. Yes. And <laughs> um, Moraine is kind of looking at Lan and saying, like, I like her, you know, I think she's a good person. Yes. Kind of giving him the go ahead to go be with Nynaeve. She is, I think Moraine is doing two things. She is trying to give Lan space. And she is also, like Jack said, pushing him towards that thing possibly to make it easier if something bad happens to her for it to not affect Lan as much as it's going to it's manipulative it is but I like I believe that Moiraine cares deeply about Lan yeah I do too I, I this also made me think back to a point Jack and I were making I think in the last episode that uh, we didn't think necessarily that Moraine and Lan are physically intimate with each other. That's right. It seems like they are comfortable around each other. Like there are scenes where they're bathing together, but it doesn't seem like they're constantly like screwing each other like other Aes Sedai and warders. Not are. like Alana and her warders. That's yeah. right. Like maybe they have in the past, but it's kind of grown to a deeper friendship and they aren't physically intimate with each other anymore. Like she has another relationship where she loves somebody and she wants him to feel free to have that as well. Yeah. Yeah. But it is like Jack's talking about. She's pushing him away. If they hook up, it's more like a bro job than anything romantic. <laughs> yeah. Is that a thing? <laughs> oh, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's also, like, the element that Moiraine, as a blue cloak, she's already very secretive. Yes. She already has, she clearly has plans that not even Lan knows about. Yes. Yeah. And we don't really know fully Moiraine's motivations at this point. We think that she has the best intentions for the world, but she is not willing to share them with anybody. Even Lan doesn't know what Moiraine is planning. 
It's true. To me, this really feels like Moiraine is willing to, and maybe even a little bit hoping, to self-destruct in order to make this plan succeed. She might be. Because I, what I'm thinking, this is a prediction, right? Mm-hmm. We see Lan and Nynaeve have a great meal together, hook up. Mm-hmm. She's going to leave, and they end up discussing her motivation behind that action and then bonding further after it and cuddling after. Yeah, she was going to leave because she's worried that she'll never be able to get closer to Lan and that she's like, you belong to Moiraine. And he says, well, no more than, say, you belong to the other two rivers folk. Right. We have a close bond. Basically, the subtext is it doesn't mean that you and I can't have something... uh, you know, meaningful as well. Right. And I think when he says that about like that, his bond with Moiraine is not more intimate than Nenev's and the two rivers folk. I think to some extent he's lying to himself. Maybe. Because I mean, they literally have a magical bond. I don't think Nenev has that with the other two Riverians. Maybe. But I mean, he's kind of understating it to be like, I have space for you. Yeah. And then he gently touches her face and asks her to stay. Which, I mean, we know that that's his movie code for we fucking. (laughs) Yes. And so here's what I am perceiving, right? I think Moiraine, there's a likelihood that she dies as a result of the goal at hand. Possibly. And he's going to become a warder for Nynaeve. Oh, but it's going to be awesome when she comes back in the next season and it's like, Moiraine the Blue. Oh, I remember her. I am Moiraine the Azure. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was thinking that, well, this is heavily inspired by that other circle fantasy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what's a wheel if not a different type of ring? (laughs) Yes. I think Lan and Nynaeve forming a bond. I think that's great. I think that could be pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Because it's happening really organically. It's happening very healthy. I think what they've got going on is pretty good so far. It seems like it. They're a cute couple. That's right. It kind of seems like Moraine might be willing to sacrifice herself because she wants to save the world. So she's kind of got this messiah complex. But also, she thinks she's kind of doomed anyway. Because yeah. the seer tells her that the Amerlin seat will be her downfall. But we already know that that might not mean necessarily that it's Suan. That's right. Because oh, there, snap. there yeah. are, we've learned in previous episodes that there are other Aes Sedai that want to see somebody unseat Suan. Some of them want Moiraine to unseat her. Oh, yeah. So Moiraine could. Be the Amberlin seat and unseat herself, or like undo herself. Undo herself, yeah. Or her ex girlfriend, who's the red cloak, could become the Amberlin seat through shenanigans and like just she is out to get Moiraine, right? Yeah. So she, I guess she could be like, if I'm doomed anyway, I may as well do something useful. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Moiraine's going to get back to the White Tower and they're going to be like, oh, Leandrin caught this, like, fugitive male wizard, Matt, and, uh, you know, now we're electing her to the Amaralyn seat because she just did so good. Yay! (laughs) Except that means Moiraine with her own downfall. Oh, no. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens um, with just one more episode to go. I'm assuming there's going to be some rage-inducing cliffhangers, but maybe I just still have PTSD from Warrior Nun. Yeah. Oh, God, no. (laughs) But why don't we head into final thoughts while we're ahead? Okay, guys, episode seven is in the books. The plot does seem to get more interesting every episode, but where are we at right now? What are our final thoughts? One thing that we touched on is how Patton Fane has been following them. Yes. And he could travel through the ways, and usually you need to be able to channel to do so. That's right. Or be one of the Ogiers and have some kind of latent magical ability. So what is going on with him? He's got a carriage. That's true. Yeah. But he doesn't have it in the ways, unfortunately. I remember while we were watching the episode, Jack, you said maybe he's a dark friend? Yeah, could be. Well, because he's following the main cast, and dark friends seem to be... Hunting them? Intensely interested in the dragon, as they want the world to be destroyed. And why else would he be following the gang, if not because of their relation to the dragon? Possibly. It seems like he's got some kind of agenda that is going to affect the main storyline. And I love him as a character, so... Oh, so good. I am interested to find out what else is going on there. But he's he either has an ability to channel or has been given some kind of magical artifact to be able to let him go through the ways or something. Maybe he just really wants to get the sale. (laughs) He's like, this is the, I've been trying to sell them this bobble, and this is what I call the hard sell. I was going to approach you in the ways, but it just didn't feel like a good atmosphere for, you know, business. Maybe he'll catch up with Rand and Moiraine and the Blight and be like, guys, check out this doily. It's made for you. Yes. This is the greatest doily. Is it magical? It's just so nice. What do you mean? It It's really nice. It's, why has everything got to be magic with you, huh? I, I'm kind of, I like, I love the character, right? I am disappointed that we are getting this like, ooh, mystery with him now when we haven't really seen much with him. I'm guessing that episode eight is going to start with like a flashback to something in his past. Maybe. Because that's kind of how the episodes have been set up at this point, that they are always starting with like a flashback to something and revealing some information that we didn't otherwise know or setting something up. It seems like the natural starting point to the ultimate episode. Right. That's a good point. But we'll see. Sweet character, though. Yeah. Yeah. I love the actor who plays him. He's got just this great smile and like he plays that trickstery merchant really well. Yeah. He was good. I also want to say, we were worried at the beginning of the show how they introduced a ton of characters and were like, oh, it's really a downfall of shows to do that just because they're so underdeveloped. We're finally flushing them out. It feels like, except for Ran (laughs) and Egwene, I could pretty much tell you what every character is about. Rand and Egwene feel sort of just like bland protagonist energy to me. Well, I think that the audience is supposed to imprint on them as much as possible. That's a werewolf romance term. 
It's also a Twilight turn since you mentioned CGI baby, which was Rand. That's right. Mm-hmm. But uh, characters that have developed, I think Lan is really shining for me oh, as a character. Yes, absolutely. Every, Especially this last episode. Yes. It feels like every episode since we've seen him, he has gotten some development, which just keeps pushing him better and better. And uh, meeting his family, I was not expecting that. And it was so wholesome and heartwarming that his dad figure is just like, oh, son, are you winning? Yeah. You see, that was one of the lowest stakes interactions. And the conflict was kind of that he was being followed and he invites Nynaeve to come in and it has some funny and cute interactions. Very wholesome. Really low stakes. One of the best scenes in the show so far. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And we got to see Lan opening up more around his family. And Nynaeve, too. I love these little moments that are meaningful to the story, but are, like you were saying, Jack, very low stakes, very slice of life. I want more of that in all fantasy because everything can't just be the most dramatic moments and that's all you capture on film. It's true. Now... There is one little issue I have, and it is that when Lan and Nynaeve are in bed together, we find out that Lan is the last surviving prince of the kingdom that was destroyed by the blight and the next heir to the throne, which in my mind, I'm basically like, that's not canon. (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny that you mentioned that. Why don't you just fuck right off with that? That to me is the most... Incidental thing. It's like, I don't care. I don't, first off, boo kings, boo nobility, boo royalty, least favorite, let, li- uh, let land just be a wandering swordsman for the rest of his life. Well, you know from what I've told you that the first book, which this is mostly based on, is the most closely tied to the Lord of the Rings in terms of just kind of copy paste and then yes. using- sure. A, th- a thesaurus or like a name finder to change names around. So you're saying there had to be a wandering warrior who should have been king. He's basically Aragorn. Yeah, yeah sure. And the blighted lands are basically Mordor. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, he's great. but And like, uh, I think it's cool the way he kind of seems to not care too much about the whole I could have been king thing. He seems to write it off like you said, Jamie. Just be like, oh, yeah, I mean, technically it's that, but I found meaning in this line of work. Sure. But I still worry that the story is going to go in the direction of, but one of these days he's going to reclaim his kingdom and then be a shitty ruler. I mean, they won't frame him as a shitty ruler. I'm saying that all kings are bastards. Yeah. Yes. He doesn't even want to be referred to as uh, Daishin, which is his the name for like the heir to the throne. Yeah, for him that's very cringy. Yeah. Kind of like Aragorn didn't want to be referred to as the next king. Yeah, but what did Aragorn go and do? Became the king. Exactly. He yeah. returned as the king. Mm-hmm. Least favorite part of my favorite character from the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I will return as the prime minister for the next two years until we have another local election. Oh, hi, Baragorn. <laughs> <laughs> Still a little hierarchical for my taste, but, like, it's better. I'll return as a, a citizen. <laughs> return of the Union. That's the story I want. Yeah. 
That is actually what I like about, I mean, I like, I love the Lord of the Rings, of course. It is very much a story about many people coming together, which I love. I like the Wheel of Time a bit so far because there is a more democratic feeling, I guess, of like multiple people could be the dragon. Multiple people might be the dragon. I like that. Yeah. We'll see where it actually ends up going. Maybe the dragon was the friends we made along the way. I mean, (laughs) at least one of them. Yes. And on that note, we'd like to thank you for listening to Swords and Satire as we discuss the penultimate episode of The Wheel of Time. If you enjoyed our discussion, maybe consider following us on social media at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you do, you'll be able to keep up with the show, see what we're up to, and check out our memes. And like we said before, if you have the means and you'd like to support us with a few bucks every month, you could head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire, become a supporter of the show and get some other cool perks along the way. That's right. But if you're too distracted for why the word pan ultimate means second to last, when pan means all and ultimate means ultimate. Pen. Pen ultimate? Pen ultimate. I hate our language. <laughs> this episode started with English being bad and it's ending with the same thing. If you're too distracted by that to go visit us on Patreon and you need a, just a simpler way to support the show, tell your friends and family about Swords and Satire because the best way to enjoy the things you love is with the people you love. That's right. You can all consume the media together and then consume this media together. Sounds pretty cool to me. Consuming the actual media is the penultimate experience of pleasure. And then Swords and Satire is the pinnacle. The pinnacle. (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) Hey, Cass, what are we doing next week? Next week, we're going to be covering one of the movies that are on the patrons poll. So our patrons are going to vote on a movie we're going to watch. That's right. And this month, the theme, of course, is international fantasy. Yeah. Fantasy around the world. What is on the poll is Nightwatch, Okja, Troll Hunter, and Tigers Are Not Afraid. So if you want to vote on which movie we talk about, maybe you should head to patreon.com slash swords and satire and kick us a few bucks and get access to the poll. Sounds pretty good. But hey, until next time, Hail Hail Crom. Crom!